Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we teach and preach the Catholic faith, which has come down over 2,000 years from Jesus and the apostles. We want to help you to know your faith, to love your faith, and to live your faith with purpose and passion, and even be able to be transformed by it and be set on fire for it. Today, we have a special guest. We have a wonderful Catholic priest. His name is Father Gannon, Father Brian Gannon, and he has been the pastor at St. Teresa's Church for 13 years. He's a wonderful priest. My wife and I go to this parish and we know him personally. <clears throat> He's one of seven children. He has an STD from the Academia of Alfonsiana. He was ordained in 1997, served on the Council of Deans for Bishop Caggiano, and he is just an all-around good guy. He knows apologetics, very into pro-life movement, and many other things. And today, we're going to be talking about a very important topic that Catholics are not really well informed on. And uh, I guess well informed is a kind of a pun <laughs> unintentionally. But I want to first welcome Father Gannon to the show. Thank you, Father Gannon, for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Brian, for having me. Great to be yeah. with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And um, <clears throat> today, Father, we're going to be talking about uh, conscience. Because I actually got into a conversation recently with a man who was talking about uh, homosexuality. He was asking me if it's okay. And I gave him the church's teachings. And all of a sudden, he didn't like what was being taught. And so he went on to say that Vatican II and you know the Catholic Church teaches a primacy of conscience, meaning that if I think it's okay, then it is. You know, because the the church is clear that our conscience dictates, you know, if we think something's right, than it is, you know, I mean, maybe not that simplified, but if it comes down to, you know, church teaching or this other thing, my conscience has the primacy, you know, if I feel like this is right, then I have to go with what I feel is right. And this is just one aspect because I, I hear it through other um, abortion. I hear it through, you know, uh, fornication, you know, well, if I truly love someone, you know, I feel like I should be able to sleep with them. You know, my, I feel like it's okay. And I think a lot of people appeal to their conscience and appeal to the church falsely. And they're misusing church documents and stuff to, I guess, justify their own lifestyle. So today I kind of want to talk about that. And I know you have a whole talk coming up this Sunday on this topic. So maybe you can get us started on what the church actually teaches on this. Yeah, it's a great, it's a very good question. You know, conscience, I mean, you can get into all the, you know, a lot of individual theologians and, you know, um, um, talking about this um, back and forth over the centuries. But just to kind of hone in basically on what the church teaches, you know, you have, you have Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, uh, the uh, pastoral document on the modern world, and from, uh, uh, from, again, from Vatican II. And it talks about conscience as man's secret sanctuary. And where man is alone with God, right? Because in many ways, in the human heart, uh, we can kind of understand where people are coming from to a, day, a great degree. Empathy, sympathy are important human attributes. But at the same time, no one ever fully, absolutely knows what goes on inside another person's human heart except for God. So it's really a, a deep core of ourselves where we're alone with God. But anyway, conscience um, is kind of a, you know, it's it's always tricky to use analogy, but uh, is, is a mechanism in which he, we use the intellect and the knowledge that we have to apply to a particular situation uh, regarding good and evil. So what does the church teach me? My conscience has been formed by church teaching, and so I want to choose good, and I want to avoid evil. 
And so you take the universal teachings of the church and then you apply them to particular situations. And this begs all sorts of other questions as well. But um, to your point, too, um, you know, one of the things that goes on in some circles of theologians is discussion of uh, a kind of a conscience centered morality. The idea that, well, I have to make a decision. It's true. Everybody's making a decision. You know, should I throw out this food or should I do something with this food? It's a moral decision. Uh, hey, there's sports on Sunday. I know I should get to mass. That's a moral decision. It's a bad one, too, if you skip mass. Um, and so the idea that conscience plays a critical role and there's a certain primacy to conscience is true. However, we have to remember that ultimately it's not about the self. It's about our telos, our end, our goal, our purpose. It's beatitude. It's with God. So every decision that I need to make is based on how is this facilitating um, my work, my, my own personal salvation and being an instrument of God's love in the world. So that's that's the key. And there's demands to love that are not easy. So there's so much critical uh, uh, stuff to this. So forming the conscience <clears throat> is very, very critical. And you can start off the bat. Number one, understanding what the church teaches. Uh, that's absolutely critical. Number two, living a life of virtue, you know, and uh, following all of the, the cardinal virtues and their subsidiaries, the moral virtues and everything, living that life. Number three, the sacraments are crucial because I need God's grace. I need that unity with Jesus Christ because that's going to inform my wisdom. It's going to strengthen my will to avoid evil and to choose the good. And um, and then all and the sacraments are so crucial. Confession is a particularly crucial sacrament as well as Eucharist, because those are the sacraments we can receive continually. And confession forces us to confront our sinfulness and it forces us to admit we're sinners. We admit we need God. But it's not just psychological, it's supernatural, because then we're washed clean. And so then we have a greater uh, greater strength and we're nourished by the medicine of God to, again, to follow the path of good and evil. But again, this goes to um, paragraph 32 of Veritatis Splendor, the great moral encyclical uh, written by John Paul II that was published in 1993. And so he has a whole section on con on conscience, and I believe it's paragraph 32. But he discusses this where he says um, some conscience-centered moralities get to the point where they believe that the conscience becomes the arbiter of what is good and what is evil. And so if I feel in my heart, you know, that this is good, I'm following my conscience. And so I'm supposed to follow my conscience. And then therefore, even though it may not be what the church teaches, it's what I feel strongly in my heart. And so I'm following my conscience. Well, that's 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 erroneous from its from its premise, because if I know what the church teaches then that's a part of my conscience and i need to apply that to that particular situation i have to carry my cross whatever that cross is our lord didn't run away from the cross and we really can't do it if we want to achieve holiness because again this whole thing is about holiness it's about that unity with god it's not about imperatives do this or that it's about how the ten commandments are all about facilitating a deeper relationship with god between god and israel and that's the same thing goes for us on an individual level as well. So the conscience is to apply what the church teaches regarding good and evil. And then there's other situations as well. I think of the great um, example of uh, Cardinal Newman, the great um, you know new saint in the church, uh, John Henry Newman, the great convert to the Catholic faith. And John Henry Newman um, had a crisis of conscience. He he suddenly felt that call to become a Catholic. He had been an Anglican and a very a very popular Anglican priest and bishop for a while. And so ultimately he made that that 
that that's where he had to follow his conscience. His conscience was calling him to the Catholic Church to conversion, which means giving up an enormous amount. But in the end, of course, he proved to be a tremendous instrument of God in, in our church. So there's a lot there. I, I, I kind of touched a few tips of a few icebergs. There. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no. And it's all good points that you made, Father. Um, maybe you could go into a little bit more. I like what you said about, um, you know, if you feel like something that contradicts the church teaching or contradicts a commandment, like how could it be, how could our conscience properly be formed, you know, because we're clearly contradicting a commandment of God. I was thinking of that recently, because I use the example when I speak to people, sometimes I said, well, you know what, if my wife and I are fighting all the time, you know, and she's not treating me right anymore. And I'm just, you know, quite frankly, sick of her. And I meet this other beautiful woman who just loves me. She gets me. She, you know, she treats me lovingly. She gives me everything I need. I don't even have to ask for it. And, you know, I feel like this woman, I, this is love. The other relationship with my wife is not love. So, you know, I feel like my conscience is telling me to leave my wife and go with this other woman. Now, as much as I might feel that, that's adultery. And that is clearly against the commandments of God. And it's clearly against the church, the Bible and everything else. So I don't see how it could be justified just because I feel it. But I feel like many people have that understanding. Yes, they do. And again, what it is, is you're following, you know, uh, feeling. We have to remember that human nature, um, original sin is washed away by baptism. Uh, we have the infusion of the Holy Trinity into our soul. The most, the greatest possession we have is the indwelling of God within the soul. But nevertheless, the effects of original sin do remain. It's a fall in human nature, which is why the conscience has to be formed. It's not perfect. You know, St. Paul writes in Romans, there's a law written in our hearts. And it is, we have a general sense of good and evil, but nevertheless, we need to form that. And so what the conscience is doing is, and John Paul II talks about this in his uh, in his tracks on conscience, is that one of the things that gives conscience a great dignity is that you're having this dialogue within yourself, but it's not a dialogue with your feelings. It's not a dialogue with yourself. It's meant to be a dialogue with God. And so I'm praying to God, I'm talking to God, and I've been informed by what God teaches. One of the fundamental precepts of the moral life comes from St. Paul. One can never do evil so that good may come of it. So if the church teaches something very clearly about something that is evil, then no, conscience is not the arbiter of good and evil. Conscience has to subscribe to that uh, if you are truly seeking um, the, uh, to deepen your relationship with God, to follow the path of good, to follow my path of, of beatitude. Because we know this, I mean, self-denial is all a part of human existence in our relationship with God. We have immediate feelings about so many different things. And of course, what you just mentioned is, is it would be, a, this is a whole nother conversation, but the whole nature of really what love is all about, right? You know, you, you, we immediately, the instant attraction that somebody feels to somebody is not a deep-seated love. It's a natural part of the human condition, but nevertheless, I've sworn an oath, you know, and um, to my wife, and uh, an oath actually protects us, but it's actually um, so love comes in firm commitment, unconditional surrender to the other. And this is uh, there's a, there was a great Franciscan friar by the uh, name of um, Benedict Rochelle. And he would talk about this. Somebody comes to him and he says to him, you know, I think he goes, look, he goes. You feel deep down in your I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit because I don't remember the exact thing, but because it's from years ago. But he said, you know, if you feel like in your side, you know, that you if you follow your conscience, it may be going against what the church teaches. He goes, listen, he goes, 
that's not your conscience talking. He goes, it may be another part of your anatomy talking, but it's not your conscience talking, you know? And he, and he had a doctorate from psychology from Columbia. He was a brilliant priest, a great author, Benedict Grishel, Father Grishel. But anyway, um, but he was very faithful to what the church taught. So again, conscience is about applying what we know uh, to be the fundamental teaching of the of the church, the bride of Christ, which is revelation from God, and then therefore um, seeking the good, the highest good. The thing about conscience and law, I mean, one of the things, right? All right, my conscience is telling me to buck um, a law, like let's say a human law, right? Um, because let's say Thomas More, Henry VIII, Henry VIII said you must uh, uh, sign the act the oath of supremacy, take the oath of supremacy, saying that Henry is now the head of the Church of England and Moore refused. Moore was using an enormous amount of discretion at the time. He just wanted to preserve <laughs> his family. Um, and so he was quiet. And then, of course, he was put on trial. And it's a beautiful it's a beautiful story, very poignant story of his incredible martyrdom. But my point is, is that he says at his at his execution, he goes, I remain the king's good servant. He goes, but God's first period, the end. And so if I have to choose martyrdom, then I have to choose martyrdom. And um, and that was a, that was not what he wanted in his heart in terms of being with his family. But he knew that it was it served the good of his family and the good of the world and the good of his own soul by being faithful to God first. So, again, if conscience is going to say, well, I can't follow this. Precept or this law or something in society then it's because it's subscribing to a higher law, a law that's clearly elucidated by God. It's not a feeling, but it's a it's a it's it's a uh, it's a law of God. So I'm defying a civil law because I have to remain obedient to God's law. And Father, do you think the part of the problem is that you know because you're talking about an informed conscience, you're talking about you know yes. kind of knowing what the church teaches, what God teaches, what the Bible teaches, the commandments teach, and. Do you think part of the problem is that people just don't know what they teach, what the church teaches, or they don't care? Like, and part of the problem is in order to inform your conscience, you actually have to inform your conscience. You actually have to do some research. You have to actually figure out what the church and God teaches. And I wonder if people bypass that. They have a general idea and they fill in the rest of the gaps with their feelings. No, you're exactly right. This gets into, if we, if we use a couple of quickie categories, like, like an erroneous conscience. So can a conscience be an error? The answer is absolutely true. And that could be, and the catechism of the Catholic Church describes this, um, the, the different possibilities. It could be erroneous because I didn't buy, I knew I could study more, but I didn't bother. I don't, I don't want to learn what the church teaches. Or my conscience could be an error because I sat there and I listened to a professor of theology tell me something and I trust him. And completely. And I saw, so he said, this is church teaching when actually he's wrong. <laughs> and so he's compounding and compounding error. And so then you're probably less culpable of the sin you may commit, you know, but nevertheless, like, you know, like the Catholic teaching on contraception, somebody can get up there and say, look, in your conscience, you can use artificial contraception. You know, no, you, you, you can't. Um, St. Uh, Paul VI says this, and John Paul II repeats this in their encyclicals, one can never do evil so that good may come of it. And so um, so you could have an erroneous conscience or, or, a, um, you know, or, or a lax conscience. A lax conscience is a conscience that where a person makes very minimal, less, you know, uh, uh, insufficient effort to find out what the church truly teaches. 
So you do have to inform your conscience. That's exactly right. Now, there's all sorts of little things that are going to happen. I remember somebody saying to me once, cheese, father, I, I know adultery is a mortal sin. I know that. But it, but I always thought that if two people were unmarried, you know, then it then sexual relations would be a venial sin because he's not married. I'm not married. You know, it says the woman. And and it's like, it's like no, it's it's, a, it's <laughs> still a mortal sin. Actually, adultery is compounded because it's a sin against um, the sixth commandment. It's also sin against justice because you owe yourself unconditionally to your spouse and you're justified. So and so um, in this case, um, you know, any kind of actually any kind of sexual actions outside of of marriage of the conjugal act would be considered grave matter. Then the question becomes, you know, did they have full knowledge, full consent and everything else like that? Yeah. And I feel like part of the problem is that people want to selectively form their conscience. They'll, if there's someone wants to learn, you know, live, say a certain lifestyle, they'll only listen to people who teach them on that lifestyle. And they won't listen to other people who might disagree with that, or they might not listen to exactly what the church teaches. You know, well, he's a priest and he knows, and they just give full credence because that's what they want to believe anyway. So they're kind of forming their own conscience the way they want it to be formed rather than the way it should be formed according to the church. Does that sound about right? That sounds very good. Yeah, that's that that's very true. Because again, right, fallen human nature, and I want what I want. And if I could find a way to justify it. And unfortunately, it's like when you're talking to teenagers, right? And they're like, the question becomes, well, you know what, Father, if, if they don't say it in so many words, but it does boil down to how far can I go, which is a horrible <laughs> way to approach uh, our life with God. What's the maximum I can do to avoid sin? What's the minimal I need to do to get to heaven? This is like, no, this isn't what love is. <laughs> do you say to your spouse, what's the minimal I can do to still say, I, I love you, but I, I, I just, I don't want to have to deal with loving you completely and totally, but what's the minimal amount you'll accept? You know, I mean, nobody would ever say that would be a good for a, for a marriage. And we have it in this, you know, as, as you know, the, you know, our, our, our relationship with God is analogous by marriage. We're meant to be in union with God. And so it's, it's meant, <laughs> excuse me, it's meant to be a full surrender. But there's so much um, messed up inf information out there. And one of the enemies of moral teaching is ambiguity, you know, and it, because the church is very clear on all of these moral issues. And uh, but people need to be informed. Um, about that. And um, and then those who misinform people, especially those in positions of authority, um, carry a, a very grave accountability because they should know better. Yeah, that'll be a more of a mortal sin on their part because they're not only, you know, infecting a few, they're infecting many through those people who are going to teach other people who are going to teach other people and so on. Right. Very grave. It's very grave. Like, for instance, when I'm I'm, I'm uh, preparing uh, couples for marriage. So some couples, God love them, you know, they're living apart. But some couples have moved in with each other. And so then, you know, I, I agree with you, you, you. This goes back. This is the gospel. The talk of today of accompanying people, walking with them. Absolutely. You walk with them. And so um, but what you do is you dialogue with them. And, and again, you don't compromise. So you have a good dialogue. And what I try to do with them is I dialogue, dialogue and let them come to the conclusion ultimately that, hey, is this bringing you closer to Jesus? You share in the same bed. Is this bringing you closer to Jesus Christ? Isn't that the isn't that the greatest foundation you could have for your marriage? And they all admit it. No, it's not bringing us closer to Christ. And so you you have to you know that's one of the spiritual works of mercy is to admonish the sinner. But you're it's meant to be medicinal. You're trying to bring them back to God. Some will be very. Some people could be hostile. I mean, when I've talked to 
couples regarding this, I've never had any kind of acrimony from them. They all like, you know, we, 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 you know, well, it's economic, blah, blah, blah. But they realized, no, I said, the most important foundation for your marriage is supernatural. The greater your surrender to God, the, the stronger your marriage foundation will be. There'll always be ups and downs in marriage, but you want your relationship with God in, in good order to, 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 to deal with that. Yeah, I, I think it's funny, you know, what you said earlier about uh, people who say, you know, um, like Jason Everett, he says, you know, how far is too far? You know, he mm -hmm. says, well, that's like bringing your girlfriend to the edge of a cliff and seeing how far can I get her to the edge without making her following over, you know, like pushing her off the edge. He's like, the, the, he's like, true love would have the opposite question say, how far can I keep her away from danger? And so far in our moral lives too, how far can we stay away from sin? How far, you know, can I get away from that side? You know, how far can I, how close can I get to God without even getting close to sin? That should be our, uh, our, I guess, understanding of it. So, Father, I know you, if you have any closing thoughts, you can give them. I know you have a funeral mass that you have to get to soon. Um, but yeah, if you have any closing thoughts, feel free to add them. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question because um we always remember that truth is dependent on god's first his revelation to holy mother church he gives the keys of the kingdom to peter who's the first pope and the bishops and so and the pope and the bishops are custodians of the truth so they're meant to preserve and protect the truth through the centuries so the fundamental teachings of the church the moral teachings of the church are there to basically be lamps in the darkness of the world to guide us to that deeper relationship with god so we live in a day and age with so much emphasis is on polling, right? 50% of Catholics believe this, 60%. The truth is not dependent on a poll. It's not dependent on a consensus. It's it's dependent on what God teaches us because he understands the human person better than anything else. And any commandment he gives is ultimately for our own good. So we keep that in mind, whether it's abortion or or all sorts of things, because unfortunately, we see how many erroneous consciences there are out there. Politicians who advocate for abortion in any way whatsoever or try to protect the right to abortion. It's all rights come from God and, and God doesn't contradict himself, right? And that's another thing about conscience. God doesn't teach something clearly and absolutely through Holy Mother Church and then tell your heart to do the opposite. God does not contradict himself. And so that's one of the keys to understanding a forming of conscience. But even as a matter of, we got to pray about this and help people to understand the people that that somehow Sunday mass is optional. It, it's one of the 10 commandments. I kind of joke with people. I'll say to them, uh, would you kill somebody? Father, no. Okay, good. Would you tell a big lie under oath? No, I wouldn't do that. All right, would you Would you want us to just punch the living day? No, Father, I wouldn't do that. Great, great, great. I said, but you skip mass. Well, I said, it's on the same level. That's the third commandment. You, you say, well, I wouldn't follow. I wouldn't, I wouldn't commit adultery. I wouldn't kill. I wouldn't steal. But you're, but somehow the third commandment has become a second tiered or optional commandment. It's not. It's up there at the same level because it's meant to protect us and arm us. So when someone is saying it's okay to miss mass, that's that's an erroneous conscience. It's it's not because the highest good that you can give yourself and your children is bringing them to worship God. Supernatural activity is the highest form of activity we can participate in, but it's meant to help us guide us by going to mass every Sunday. And by going to confession, it strengthens our ability to recognize evil and to fight evil. If someone, if a, if a, if a, um, 
guy is coming to if an evil man is approaching your property you're going to do everything you can to prevent that evil man from getting near your family and and that's what we want to remember about the seductions of the devil and the world in trying to tell us to uh consider our moral teachings uh, optional it's only setting us up for a fall amen and in closing i just want to say you know you just mentioned the devil and the devil is in the church do people really think the devil is not going to try to attack the church they really think that he's not going to try to undermine the truth of god he hates god and there are too many priests bishops theologians theologians who are supposed to know better who are leading people astray and part of the problem is that a lot of moral theologians in the 70s and 80s taught people the primacy of conscience according to their own feelings according to their own evil perversions that they wanted to justify and they're telling other people is okay and i want to let people know that there are a lot of evils in the church if what a priest says a bishop says does not match up with the bible or the church it's wrong that's why it's so important to have this informed um and I'll leave it at that. We have a video called Catholic Crisis, and we talk about how theologians helped to destroy and erode the moral foundations of our church. So I'll link that at the end. I want to thank you, Father, for joining us today. And I want to uh, thank you for uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. Great to be with you. Yes, yes. And I want to thank all the people out there for watching as well. God bless you all and keep praying for us as we're always praying for you. Make sure to check out our show description notes below. God bless you.